Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hi, Don. I'm Sam. Sam, you're still here. Still here. You just won't let me leave. That's the problem. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. No, I don't want to go anywhere. You know, I kind of like it here. Recovery's working. It is working, and uh, it's so much fun to do this podcast and be able to talk to people about recovery. And we have a guest today. We do? Where? <laughs> oh, there I heard her. Tammy, welcome to the Boiled Owl. Well, thank you. Glad you're here. Thanks. Glad you're here, Tammy. I'm glad to be here, too. Well, I'll at, we'll ask the question that I always ask. What was it about your uh, last time that you got drunk that got you to go to AA and end up quitting drinking? Well, the last time I got drunk, I actually, it wasn't my decision. I was intervened on by my family. Ooh. But there was a time before that when I first came into AA that I did have a last time where, you know, I basically, it was that jumping off point where I felt like I was going to die. I couldn't go to work anymore. I quit my job. I just, I don't know, I was so staying drunk all day long, didn't work very good for yeah. getting up and going to work. And um, I was a single mom at the time. I couldn't pay my mortgage. I was losing my house, losing my job. And I uh, also knew I was losing my health, too. And I was mixing a lot of other stuff with the alcohol um, that was causing me to pass out and black out a lot. And like what, remember things. what other stuff? Oh, any kind of pills I could mm. get my hands on, basically. Because, you know, after a certain point, alcohol wasn't working for me. I mean, for many, many years. I think in my 30s, alcohol really stopped working. I drank from when I was 16 on pretty much every single day. Mm. Um, but it worked for me for a long time, through my 20s and would say I was like kind of halfway functioning because I made it through college and I started a career and a family and several marriages. <laughs> um, but you know, when I got to be close to 40, it was like actually, I think in my mid 30s, just alcohol really absolutely stopped working. I mean, I could not drink enough to get a buzz, to get that feeling to escape to, uh -huh. to whatever the best I could do was just. Sense you know, of to pass ease out. and comfort. Yeah, the best I could do was just pass out, basically, and go to sleep. Um, and literally wake up in the middle of the night and have to drink more. So you um, so could go back to sleep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't working. So then I found, you know, through an ex-husband that I had some back surgery. I had discovered mm. some, some pills. And, wow, it's like, now I could drink more. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. So it had that, you know, more of an effect. And, I've heard um, that referred to as had, had to go to the witch doctor to, the witch doctor. <laughs> to get something a little stronger. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's only looking back on it that I realized that I started doing that because alcohol wasn't working anymore, you know. And then as I got deep into, you know, a lot of different drugs, I mean, basically whatever I could get my hands on. I mean, you know, painkillers were my drug of choice, but, um, I think alcohol was my number one love, and if that mm -hmm. kept working, I would have just used that alone. But um, but if I could get my hands on you know Xanax or anything else, really, I mean, I mean, my brother had dogs on Xanax, and I would go over there and steal the doggy Xanax, you know. But wow. it was mm -hmm. 
So it was really, really bad. I mean, it was getting really, really dangerous. And I was having long periods of time where I didn't remember anything, even while I was at work. It was just really scary. And I was a mom. Oh. I had a young son. And, you know, I would wake up and forget that he had to go to school. I mean, it was, it was bad. <laughs> wow. It, you know, my wife uh, said one time when our son was under a, a year old. Right. And, you know, he would wake up in the morning and uh, four o'clock and just be beaming, bright smile and ready to go. Uh -huh. It's the morning. It's a wonderful <laughs> day. Look at this glorious day. Sun's not even up yet. Right. And she said, you know, a mother just couldn't be an alcoholic because you just have too much responsibility to be able to drink. Well, you have to be ready for this. You don't. You're not even allowed to be sad around a little kid because they're so happy. Right. And, right. I, and I said, well, <laughs> I've heard of mothers who did drink it despite all of that. So you're not an alcoholic is really what it amounted to. Right. Because she could feel the responsibility and go, well, I can't drink. Well, I drank because of the responsibility, you know, so... There's the difference. But that's my... What I use is my powerlessness when we talk about how powerless we are over alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, I literally absolutely... I mean, without a doubt, I know that I would jump in front of a speeding bullet for my son, that I would jump in front of a car for him, that I would absolutely, without hesitation, do that. But I could not stop drinking and I could not stop drugging right. for my son. That's how powerful this disease is. I mean, I could not do that on my own. But, you know, if somebody pointed a gun at him, I would certainly jump in front of it. But it's just such a powerful disease. And you can't stop. You know, it, I don't know what it takes. It's just, but my last drink at that point was just, I, I mean, I don't know what it was. I was basically on my knees and I had to ask for help from my brother. And let him know how deep I was into it. Mm -hmm. But I still want to do things my way. I didn't want to go to yeah. treatment in my hometown because everybody knew me. And God forbid anyone knows. You know, I wanted to go. We got on a plane and flew to Detroit and went to oh. some crazy detox place where it was pretty insane. Put everything on my credit card. and um, Was, you know, was, was AA a part of that? Oh, no, trip? not no. at all. No, I didn't need. I was not going to go to AA. I wasn't going to have any kind of, quote, group therapy. I didn't need... What I needed was just a detox because I'm very smart, you see, and I knew mm. that I had just let my body get into this physical state of addiction, but it was just a physical state, you know, because every time I tried to quit, I had all these physical symptoms, and so I had decided that if I could just, you know, medically, like, detox, then I would never do this again, you know, just well, give me a second a, chance again. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes would, sense. Yeah, I mean, it made total sense to me, and I convinced my family that that's all I needed to do. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you weren't lying. No. You know, yeah, you, no in convincing was, your family of that, I mean, I, I, we're totally sold that that will fix it. Right, I was absolutely. And if you weren't an alcoholic, it would have. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I really right. didn't. Like, I had convinced myself that drugs was the problem, even though I drank basically every day of my life I drink mm -hmm. well there was a short period of time when I was pregnant that I didn't drink but I did drink at different times during my pregnancy also I mean that's how powerful it was but those were probably a few months here and there for my entire life 
that I didn't drink. So, but I still didn't see myself as an alcoholic. I just thought I drank too much. Mm-hmm. And then I got into pills too much and I was physically addicted. And my thought process was I just needed to detox. So, so had, did the treatment center offer AA and you didn't oh, no, do it? No, or they, they just did? They took your credit card. They took your money. They took insurance. <laughs> And um, they did a really crazy detox program in a hotel room. For, so, so it was a detox, not yeah, a, no, not it a treatment was strictly center. detox okay. in a hotel room. Yeah, and there was a clinic, and then you stayed in this hotel room. They rented out like this whole floor, and once a week they did this clinic for all these addicts, and you know, and that's my story. It's like I was addicted, so mm-hmm. I went to detox for where they did a lot of you know for opiates, my heroin addicts and stuff, and mm-hmm. so I was with a lot of those types of people and or that was me you know but i still didn't think alcohol was the problem i thought that was the problem so i yeah it was very it cost a lot of money mm-hmm. and they put you on all sorts of other drugs and they discharge you home on lots of volume and all sorts of other good stuff and um like a month supply yeah it was crazy i couldn't even like hold my head up i mean i was so out of it and then i came home and i still you know, my brother is still pouring me wine because he didn't think alcohol was my problem either. <laughs> right. It's a very like convoluted drugs. story. Well, I, I, that makes sense. I can see that. I, I... But I um, I was home for a few months and I couldn't go back to work and I couldn't really take care of my son and my family was still helping me out. And I was severely depressed and I was running out of the meds that the detox center had sent me home mm-hmm. on and um, I was having panic attacks and you know all that anxiety and depression and um, I was trying to drink again but it wasn't working and I didn't have my drugs <laughs> and yeah it was really hard and so I decided well my family decided that I needed to go to therapy that I was depressed so I should go to therapy so I thought yeah that's probably a good idea I should go to therapy <laughs> yeah that's a route I took I thought I could go to therapy and figure out why I drank out of control I, I had a feeling that inside of me there was some kind of uh, thing I was drinking at that oh, yeah. I felt bad about myself and if I could figure out what this thing was I was drinking at then I would be able to drink normally exactly I was seeing a psychiatrist. Uh, now, work told me I had to. Right. <laughs> I, I manipulated them into letting me go to my own psychiatrist instead of the one provided by their, what, uh, I forgot what they call it, but the employee assistance oh, right, program, the EAP. yep. Um, and uh, so the first go-round, I got to go to my own psychiatrist. So I'd sit and talk with him, and then I'd go to the liquor store right, on the way yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. It worked out really well. Were you honest with your psychiatrist? I was. I, t- I was totally honest with him, but I, I didn't want to quit. I wanted <laughs> right. to Alcohol was still the solution. Right. It was still. It still did work for me. Now was, it was ruining my life, right. but I was still getting the effect. Right. I was honest, and I learned a lot about the way that my mind works and the way that you know my emotions. I was emotionally stunted. And I learned about that. I learned some emotional uh, intelligence, mm-hmm. but uh, it didn't. It never touched my drinking. Right. That whole self-knowledge avails us nothing. Exactly. It wouldn't touch it. <laughs> it wouldn't touch it. Well, I wasn't convinced I was an alcoholic or mm-hmm. even an addict. I was still convinced that I was stupid and I took too many pills and I got physically addicted. And I still wasn't convinced I was an alcoholic. I thought, yeah, I drink too much. It's not the healthiest thing to do. I probably could cut back. Um, but I couldn't see all my you know, failed relationships, losing my job, losing my house. I couldn't see all that as a consequence of 
you know, when I was drinking and using drugs, I still just thought I was, I was just stupid and I got myself into trouble. And, but as I came home from that detox and I still was, went back to drinking and. Did you go back to drugs as well? I'm not at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I was still finishing what they had supplied me and I was running out like they had sent me home on Valium and sleeping pills and all sorts of stuff. Um, when I ran out of that, I got really um, well, yeah. anxious. And then I think my brother did supply me with some of his dog Xanax. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess so I was you didn't. still. Yeah, yeah. But still yeah, but to, in my brain it was different because it wasn't the painkillers. It was different things. You know, yeah. I just said this was my favorite drug and I stopped that so everything else I can continue to do. You know, of course. I totally get that. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally get that. And, and it's I medicinal. couldn't imagine Doctor's life without orders. drinking. I mean, I knew it wasn't working for me, but I just could not imagine how anyone wakes up and says, I'm not good. I just couldn't imagine life with drugs anymore or without drugs or alcohol. I just couldn't. Um, but I was really depressed and anxious, so I finally Googled, you know, therapy, and I thought, well, maybe this outpatient mm. clinic popped up, and it said, oh, we also deal with you know, addiction and alcoholism. And I thought, oh, maybe it'd be good to see a therapist that has some background in that, you know, mm -hmm. maybe that's a good idea. So, but really I'm just going for my depression and my anxiety. So I did end up going there for an intake and um, I lied completely about how much I used. Of course you did. Yeah, and I was still drinking and everything on my intake. And, I only drink one or two and a even night. Though I like completely like downplayed it. The, the, doctor who took my intake said well we have this intensive outpatient program we think you know you'd be good for that and it would be helpful and I was like no 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 you don't understand I'm just here for a one-on-one -on -one for my depression I don't need a, you know a, a treatment I'm like are you crazy and I'm thinking he's basing this on what I told him <laughs> what if I really told him what I did you right know? Wow, yeah. so anyways I end up going I didn't have anything else to do my brother convinced me that I should just go because I wasn't working it, it's terrible when you minimize your uh, drinking and they go, <laughs> and they go that much? Yeah. I know. Yes. They're still like, you need to go to our intensive program. And oh, my I'm God. Thinking, How are you still alive? Yeah, I just want to make money. You're just going to take anybody. You know, it's like, well. Then um, I thought, you know, my brother and I were going to write a book about our experience because I had so much experience in recovery at that point, you know, and mm -hmm. I'd been through so much that, that somehow we were going to write some book on how to, Oh, how, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's so like cringeworthy when I think about it now. But it literally, like, we were writing about our escapades at the detox and in the hotel room, and how you know, just the, the trials and tribulations of this brother sister bond going to get better. Like, and here I was still. I mean, so we so decided it would be good material for our book if I went to this outpatient treatment, and I like went with my notepad. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> Like about everybody else in there, like, oh wow, this is really look what this person's here for and that person's here for, and like trying to, you know, thinking that I'm learning so that I can use it, you know, in our book. And, mm -hmm. and I was there for eight weeks and I didn't stop. It took me till the seventh week to actually stop drinking and stop taking all the medicine, all the drugs. So I finally got clean and sober. Did something get through yeah, to you? Yeah, exactly. It finally did. I mean, she finally convinced me that, and I also had one-on-one -on -one counseling twice a week. And then the um, group sessions were every week, you know, every day, Monday through Friday for at least half, five hours. I think I can't remember, but. What, what was the emotional 
turnaround inside of yourself to go from, you know, she's starting to make sense. It was, what, there, I really, really truly remember there being that sense of surrender finally. That when she talked one day about surrender and about doing it somebody else's way, I don't know what it was, but I almost didn't cry about thinking about it now because it was just so powerful. It just hit me that I was going to have to try this somebody else's way because yeah. my way was not working. And this is the first time it was really presented to me like that, you know, and yeah. I had been in that, you know, outpatient program for, you know, six or seven weeks already. And she talked more about surrender and just, you know, your way's not working. Maybe this is about just completely giving up and trusting the professionals and the people that have been there. And the professionals there were also in recovery. So I felt like, you know, it was easier to, to trust them, I guess. Um, but, yeah, it was I finally said, okay. And I went home and I cried to my brother. <laughs> he told I'm really close to my brother. Um, but it feels like. De defeat, but it, it's but it feels good to give up. I mean, I remember exactly yeah. having a feeling like that. It's like I'm screwed, right? <laughs> and I don't know what to do. And I'm going to have to do what these people say. And to give up was like a major. I really like that expression in AA: sur surrender to win, because it turned defeat into winning right. and it and it felt like such a personal failure which is what alcoholism is a failure alcoholism is being unable to control my drinking All right and it is a personal failure but that failure <laughs> is what the disease is so you know i have to be able to get to the place where i was able to give up to be able to get better yeah and I don't know how it came to me. I mean, I think it was just one of those God moments. And I didn't believe in God. And I had no spirituality at all when I came in there. And I didn't like reading the 12 steps on the wall. And, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. I was, you know, pretty much that chapter to the agnostics. And I was just so smart. And I didn't need um, to be. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I just kept showing up there. I knew I didn't have anything else to do. And I think, you know, basically my higher power probably led me there or did lead me there. And um, I don't know. It's like, and I never, they would take us to AA meetings and I would not introduce myself as an alcoholic. Even though they said I had to because they were closed meetings and you couldn't just say your name. You were supposed to say you're an alcoholic, but I refused because I was like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm just here. Like, Did you say you were an author? Like, no. <laughs> no, I'm writing a self-help book. Um, you know, and that's what my, you know, my brother and I are writing this emotional, you know, like that. Um, I don't know. We were going to be, you know, on Ellen DeGeneres and Oprah Winfrey and all that. You know, we had these. Somehow we were you know, going to write this great book. Yeah, I still... <laughs> I remember the day I had to go home and tell my brother, you know, it's like, I don't think we're going to be able to write this book because there's this whole anonymous thing. And it's like, <laughs> if I keep doing this, like, I'm not really supposed to, like, so. And he was really, like, upset because, like, you know, he had half this book written on his part of it, you know. <laughs> but there's this whole thing of, I want to yeah, live I <laughs> and I'd rather not risk it with yeah. the book. Yeah. I kind of like the living thing yeah. better. Yeah. Trying to learn some of that humility and. <laughs> You know, it's not just all about me. And really, the more I learned, the more I learned that I knew nothing, you know, oh, yeah. and thought I knew it. But, I, you know, I told him, you could write a book. 
you can write your own book about your experiences. But my I attic can't. system. Leave my chapter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Leave my chapter yeah. out. So you, you got out of there and were sober for a while. Yeah, I stayed sober for about eight months. Then I decided was out of work. Going to AA or not? Going no. to AA. I had a sponsor. But then, you know, I had a home group. Then I was just going like once a week. And um, I got a job. And I got back to work. And then I was too busy. And then I also, you know, once again, reeled my family and my brother in and said, you know, like, I really don't need to be doing this for the rest of my life. I'm okay. This is just crazy. These people, all they do is hang out with each other. And they only, you know, like, really, you know, I've got I'm back to work. I'm good. I got to focus on my son. I can't just be leaving him every night or dragging him to meetings with me all the time and stuff. And so I, you know, pretty much convinced my family that I was good. And so fast forward about nine months from that point, then they intervened on me because they saw clearly I was not good. And I had really um, slid. I still had my job, thank goodness. But I was I was drinking and hiding it from everybody because they thought I was just, I was just trying to show them that I could drink socially, but they mm-hmm. didn't know I was drinking like every night. Mm-hmm. And I was having to hide it from my son at that point because that by this time he knew about AA. He was about 12 years old, I think, at that time. So, yeah, I found out you could buy Xanax online. And so I started oh. buying copious amounts of Xanax online because in my mind that was going to keep me off the other pills and maybe keep me from drinking as much. But, of course, I would take the Xanax and then drink. So then I got this whole other new addiction. Well, I mean, it's all the same. But, yeah. you know, I heard somebody say their drug of choice is more. I mean, that right. was me. Yeah. Anything, like, whatever is going to change the way I feel, get me outside of myself, whatever is just going to. And the problem is everything stops working, and I got to take more and more and more of it to change, you know, to get some kind of effect. And I, and I knew I was in trouble. I really knew I was in trouble, but I just wasn't quite like, oh, what am I going to do? And then that's when my family intervened, and they threatened to basically, you know, tell my ex-husband, tell my job, you know, give me some consequences this time. He uh, went to the counselor, had seen it at the center and so he got like this contract and showed up with the drug test and was basically like if you don't go back to AA and you don't go to counseling and you don't submit to tests whenever I want you to this these are going to be your consequences and I knew he was serious and I guess it was suggested to him that I didn't have enough consequences the last time and that some needed to be given to me (laughs) and so are you know presented and um, it scared me. It pissed me off. I was going to say, I was going to ask you that. <laughs> Were you so. pissed off? I was yeah. in the moment because it was my birthday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, they ruined it. <laughs> it was my birthday six years ago because um, I just had a birthday last week. So, yeah, so he actually showed up on my birthday and did that. And A real surprise party. Yeah. A real surprise like, party. Dude, what kind of gift is good. this? A gift of sobriety? <laughs> Here, have the rest of so your life. So I was like copying all sorts of lesser charges in my mind. It's like, oh, well, I think some pot's going to show up on there. I might smoke pot with my roommate. You know, like thinking that that's um, not that bad as, you know, that if anything else showed up on there. Of course, everything showed up on there. And, uh, <laughs> so um, actually they were testing yeah, for what didn't I know, show. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, then, you know. So, yeah, I was. I was upset that he hadn't given me any warning, you know, like, why didn't you warn me you were going to give me a drug test, you know, so, 
But it really, you know, it saved my life. And um, this time, for even though they, you know, and people talk about interventions not working. They say you have to hit your own bottom. Right. And it's not going to work if you try to intervene. But you know what? At this time, it did. It got me back in. And I think whatever it takes to get you in again or in for the first time, I mean, there's something, you know. I was looking for a way to get back. I just couldn't quite figure it out yet. So, so you had to give up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had to get and, scared, really scared that this time. I mean, I was scared, but I just kept putting more alcohol and mm. Xanax in me, so I wouldn't feel scared. And as soon as it wear off, I had to get more, you know, and I was getting back to that point where I was waking up and waking up in the middle of the night and having to, you know, drink and take pills. And I, I mean, I was going to work and I was falling asleep. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was getting really bad again. I was getting scared. I don't know why I didn't get to the point by myself, but... Thank God that my family did intervene on me that time. And well, it's the fa- it's the consequences. I mean, I could see that because it's the consequences that made me realize that I'm not getting away with it. That right. it's not working. And it is by constantly failing and having it in my face that to, that I got to the place where I was able to say, I no amount of my willpower is going to work. I'm not going to be able to control this. Right. And it's you have to get to that point before you can really ask for help and do it somebody else's way. Yeah, and I really like that in your face. I mean, they really had to like make me face it and look at it, and I couldn't hide it anymore. And I was just so good at trying to make everything look so good on the outside and trying to hide things until I couldn't. It became obvious to them that I was... You know, out of control. Again. Obvious to um, them, but you still thought you were pulling it Oh, over, yeah, I right? did. I thought I was. But, oh, yeah. you know, when you know. we got to lunch and my eyes are half closed and I can't keep them open and I'm always tired, you know, like that kind of thing, then, you know, it was becoming obvious to them that I was on something. Or, But, yeah, I still thought that I was getting away with it. So, yeah, I had to be shown that I wasn't getting away with it and I really had to face it and I had to have some consequences but I did have that you know horrible soul sickness and that I mean that it's that horrible emptiness inside and and I was scared so I don't know how much longer it would have taken me if Mm -hmm. I didn't die or do something else in the process or get arrested or um, have my son taken away I mean I don't know so many things could have happened you, you know, another way that people get sober is with uh, in a relationship in a family, like if, if partners in Al-Anon, is they, which happened to me, they quit paying any attention to my drinking. Right. It was the opposite of an intervention. Oh, yeah. It was like my wife told me, well, I just want to let you know that if you get a DUI and you lose your license, I'm not driving you anywhere. Right. And I was going, God. <laughs> You were not calling her nice names. Were you? <laughs> it was, seemed harsh. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, that's nice. But it was that withdrawal away from it, so that I could no longer, because I wanted to blame my drinking on other people. Right. And it got to be impossible to blame it on. It was, right. it, it was always turned back. I was always turned back on myself, and it was like, going, I, I can't not drink, and. Finally, inside, I turned it. I just turned a corner and was going. I give up. I can't stand this anymore. Right. Because I was, I was trying. 
the le- the end of my drinking, I was trying to control it really severely, so it was like bottled hell. Yeah. And oh, yeah. like going, okay, I'm only going to drink three beers. Nah, never works. Oh, and it never like, ever worked for me every time I tried to control it, and I would just be, you know, and it was like, F it, fuck it. At the end of the day, I was yeah. like, I'm just going to be okay right now. You know, like, I, I didn't care anymore. It's like, I'm just going to feel good right now. And even though it wasn't really feeling good, it was just like the yeah. absence of... I don't know. Oh my gosh! Okay, so I just I just heard something I've never heard before. Seriously, and it was so in recovery. One of the things that we're always talking about is being in the present, right. being in the moment. I know. Wow! When we were drunks, we were totally in the moment. I know, yeah. and I brought that up to people before. I said, you know, I was one day at a time when I was drinking and using. I did not care about tomorrow. I was only trying to be okay in this moment. I would try to plan for tomorrow and say, especially when I was trying to conserve some of my drugs for the next day, you know, not wake up and have nothing or I'd be in a panic, you know, but it, it would always be, you know, I'm just going to be okay right now. Never mind what's going to happen Till it quits tomorrow. working. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It, so I was kind of living. But it is. Yeah, it is. That's what it's for. That's was, what drinking's for. Yeah. So I could Tonight <laughs> the bottle let me down. <laughs> And let your memory come around. That's right. <laughs> Until it was gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's terrible when it quits working. You know, I, I continue to hear throughout everything, we've, the discussion we've been having now, that that characteristic of alcoholism and addiction, that whoever is suffering from it, the, the big characteristic is, I don't believe I am. Right. right. It's a disease that tells me I don't have the disease. Right, and that there's some way out. There's got to be some way. I'm going to figure this out tomorrow, that there's going to be some way tomorrow that I'm going to wake up. And, I mean, I would write schedules. I would write plans of how. I mean, I had a day timer, and I would write little, like little code how I was going to taper myself off something or oh, how yeah. I was going to drink only this much. It would be like how much alcohol I was going to drink and how many pills I was going to take. And I would control. have like, I, and every day is like big X, you know, big F try it, and, control and then just start over. Okay. Now today. Okay. We're going to do this. Well, it was never today. It was always tomorrow. Always tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. So That's a good <laughs> idea though. To, turn, to see if you're an alcoholic. There's that. Because... You, you'll have it right there. I failed. No, I'm not, I can't do it. Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm, I'm not going to look at the past. <laughs> yeah. right. no, totally I do that. that for like a year straight in the same day wow. timer and still not hmm. see it. Yeah. There's a, just like this book of, of powerlessness there. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think I might be an alcoholic. Um, and But, you know, after my family intervened and I was pissed off, then I, I did have a huge sense of relief. I cried for months. I came to AA, um, and they went every day, and I did my ninety ninety, and I got a sponsor right away, and we started working the steps. And I think I showed up at every meeting. I mean, people remember me because I showed up and cried at meetings for like, and I went to a lot of women's meetings, and um, people would watch my kid and just take him from one place to the next to the next, and I just like would, I would just cry. And it's hard was, to remember that because what you know, was the crying about? Well, I, I was just so depressed that I was at this point again in my life. And I also think a lot of it was just, you know, all the emotions that I, you know, I suppressed. I never mm-hmm. allowed myself to feel anything because I didn't want to feel anything. So when you take away all the, all the alcohol and now your feelings are coming out, it's like, oh my God, like I haven't had a feeling. And, you know, when you get sober, you'll feel like better. 40 years and now I have to 
feel yeah you'll feel better exactly yeah, and the good news everything. is you know you get your feelings back the bad news is you get your feelings back yeah. right and yes. um so i felt like i was just feeling everything and it was horrible yeah. <laughs> there, was, there is no numbing it, it there's no right. instant fix i couldn't you know i tried i got into a bunch of you know not a, I won't say a bunch. I got into some relationships. <laughs> so yeah. I tried to change my feelings yeah. with relationships and yeah. with men, and yeah, that didn't work didn't either. Work. And also, I wake up and be like, "What am I doing with you? Sorry, <laughs> never mind." And on to the next one. And I'm like, okay, you'll work for a minute, and the next one. And what else? Um, I chain smoked like two packs a day, drank a bunch of coffee, cried a lot, went to meetings. And I was really, really depressed the first few months. And I would tell people, like, if this is what being sober is about, then what's the point? Because, like, I felt like I was useless as a mother. I just wanted, the days were so, so, so long. Mm. Um, I couldn't wait for it to be bedtime. I mean, there was... Time expands when you get sober. Yeah, and it was, but at that point, days were so long. Now, days are super short. Like, I can't pack enough into my day. I mean, I actually enjoy life now, and there's so many different things I want to do that the days are just way too short. The weekends fly by, but when I first got sober, the weekends were so long because I didn't know what to do with myself. It was just waiting for the next meeting. It was staying in bed and just trying really hard to take care of my son, um, I remember weekends were horrible <laughs> for me when I first got going. Weekends and then throw a holiday in right. there. And I was <laughs> really thrown for a loop. Because, I mean, you messed up my schedule completely. I right. don't know what to do now. I just wanted to stay in bed. Yeah. I mean, and my worst fear was that it was never going to get any better. You know, my worst fear was that this is how I'm going to feel. Um, just that intense emptiness and loneliness and sadness and anxiety. But but that changed in in time. What what was in the what was it in the steps? I mean, it's, there's so many things. But what's one thing you can think of that was a real turnaround in the steps? I I know I can think of a certain amends that I made or. The men's were kind of the biggest for me. I mean, steps four and five were big. I didn't know if I was doing one, two, and three right or not, you know. Right. <laughs> but when you got to four and five, you actually had to do, like, write stuff down and tell some, you know. And, Get some instructions. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It was like doing something. But just meeting with a sponsor would meet with me every week, and we would read. And I'd call her every day, and she had me call three other women. It was like I was doing something, you know. Whether it was helping or not, it, didn't, it just gave me something, like, to feel like I was doing something, anything, um, even if I didn't really understand what I was doing. You know, steps one through three were, I mean, I guess they were helpful, but in four and five, after step five, it was great because I got to do like six and seven right away, you know, five, six, and seven, like in one day, and I felt like I really accomplished something and Mm -hmm. like I was a part of and, um, you know, was really proud (laughs) of myself. But steps eight and nine, I think, were, like, really the most, I mean, the night step promises, I mean, absolutely, like, it was freaky the way that those actually started to come true halfway through my night step. I mean, it's not even, it was just mm-hmm. absolutely, like, crazy how things started to turn around at that point. And, you know. It's so like, eight, eight and nine are making amends uh, for my behavior. Mm-hmm. What that does is it freed me from all of the shame I had of, that I was drinking at. Right. I mean, I always wondered what I was drinking at. And in truth, it was discovered and that was healed 
through steps eight and nine, making amends to people I'd harmed because it freed me from the things that I felt bad about myself. Right. And then you can live one day at a time after you've cleared up the wreckage. That's clearing the wreckage of the past. Mm -hmm. But it's so important to note, my experience has been that's that statement you mentioned before we're halfway through. Right. You know, when I got my first few amends under my belt, it's a relief. I found that I could look anyone in the eye right. at that point. I wasn't avoiding people because I was willing to make amends to the rest of the people that I needed to. And so I was able to... I, Halfway through, I mean, not even halfway through, and I can hold my head up high in society again and not duck people. Right. And that exactly. was a big deal for me. I didn't know it would be that powerful when I was doing it, mm -hmm. especially when I was working on step eight and just doing the list. And then there were certain people I wasn't possible to make direct amends to. And, you know, it was pointed out that I just needed to be willing, if, if able mm -hmm. to, like, would I make amends if I could, basically, and that willingness to do it was um, was big, and it was so funny, because there was, I had um, two ex-stepdaughters, <laughs> um, I had two marriages before, and um, a stepdaughter with each one that I wanted to make amends to, and I had not seen uh, one stepdaughter in, like, 15 years, the other one I had seen in, like, five years, and I didn't even know where they were living or anything, I knew they were both grown, Totally lost contact. Yeah, because with my first stepdaughter, I had no contact with that or with her dad at all. I have no clue where he is, and um, so I hadn't, you know, I wasn't all the way through my ninth step, so I hadn't gotten to the point where I was trying to really hunt people down yet, you know. So I had no clue how I was going to start trying to find them. I I knew a few people that I might be able to do, but I hadn't really started that process yet. But halfway through my night step, I got a Facebook request from both of my ex-stepdaughters. Two different marriages, two different stepdaughters, like a week apart. Wow. It was the craziest thing. Like, they'd each seen that I was friends with, um, like, an ex-cousin of theirs or something on Facebook. and Coincidence? Oh, completely. I, I know. It was, like, <laughs> chills. I mean, it was so crazy. It's like, here I am needing to do my night step. And my first um, stepdaughter, she's um, amazing. Now, you know, they're both on Facebook. They both have kids. And I get to see their, their little kids and their families and all this stuff. I mean, and I get to communicate with them. Um, and I got to make amends by phone to both of them. Neither of them thought I owed them an amends. <laughs> but I did. I felt mm -hmm. like I did. Yeah. They, um, they didn't see how I contributed to a lot of the chaos <laughs> mm -hmm. in their lives. But, you know. Um, both of them were so kind and sweet. and I had someone I was going to make amends to that I had worked on and written about, and I went to lunch with my sponsor at a Mexican restaurant, and the guy walked in what? and oh, sat down in the serious? booth oh right God. behind us. Wow. And I kind of nodded to him, and I went, Oh, my God. <laughs> Guess who's <laughs> And uh, my sponsor said, well, when the, you know, when the name on the list starts lighting up and flashing, then... Uh -huh. Oh, that's a great that's visual. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's crazy. So, yeah. So, I feel like the step nine was really one of the most powerful steps. But I say all the time, it's just magic. I don't know. You don't have to understand them. You just do them. To the best of your ability. Well, that's part of getting sober someone else's way. Yeah, is not exactly. knowing how it's going to work, but seeing that it does. I mean, I could see that all these people in AA were laughing and happy, right. and I was like, you know, trembling and <laughs> sick. I was, I was sick when I came in. Yeah, AA. me too.
Very. And had no idea how to how to be happy. You know, I, I, I feel compelled to share something real quick. So um, a couple weekends ago, I was at a uh, retreat uh, mm-hmm. for Drop the Rock. Right. And uh, and Don was part of right. it as well. And um, we Drop the Rocks, explain that. Is, uh, so it's a book about step six and seven. Right. Um, which go very quickly, as you mentioned uh-huh. a moment ago. Right. <laughs> Five, six, and seven right. in one day, uh-huh. um, and uh, and so this was a real focus on step six and seven. Right. And um, one of the things that I went into that with was anger, because okay. I've been carrying a lot of anger over the past several months, and just it was not, I was not happy. I was not right. comfortable with it, and I went through the motions. Now I did not think, you know, I'm getting anything out of this. I've read this book before. Right. I, you know, I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. And I, you know, the, the even the rock that I pulled out of the bowl of rocks right. on the table <laughs> before I even knew what that rock was going to represent. I'm just pulling the rock out because you're supposed to pull out a rock. Was the <laughs> sharpest, pointiest spearhead rock, uh-huh. perfect for anger. Right. right. <laughs> and uh, and I chucked it in the in the water at the end of the weekend, and I didn't feel any different. Right. Fast forward to last Saturday, mm-hmm. and I was sitting in a meeting, a big book study, that uh, we read steps 10 and 11. Right. And while reading those pages, it hit me instantly that I'm done with anger. Wow. I'm done being pissed off and mean now. It's amazing. not working. And instantly, we talked about surrender earlier and how much better I felt instantly upon letting that go. Yeah, and I think about that fake it till you make it. I yes. that totally worked for me. I faked it. I didn't, me you know, too. I would be the eyes rolling and the, this is I, and I told my first sponsor, I said, You're never gonna find me in a drum circle singing kumbaya, <laughs> dude, like I just sweat lunch or whatever until I do, I know. I went I was like, just if I get to that point because I just didn't like any of this touchy feely crap and it just feel good stuff and I just was like um, you know, I was really uncomfortable with extremes. Well, it just doesn't make any sense, but I was always the person I want to fly under the radar and not like, I don't know. I didn't want people. I didn't want to want people or need people or have people get see past who I was or, you know, anything. Absolutely. But, but faking it um, and just like going along with, you know, like, yeah, okay, I'll do this, but I'm rolling my eyes in my head and stuff, but that, you know, but it still works. Still I works. still showed up yeah. and I still read with my sponsor and she'd say really corny, stupid shit. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, and think, oh, that's so corny. Yes. And she'd be all like, I love you. I'm like, I love you too. I'm like, you don't even know me, but okay. <laughs> you know? I love you too. And now I tell, you know, and she'd always be like, you're the right spot of my day. And then I read it in the book, but I was like, you got this from, <laughs> somewhere like I thought you were really saying that I was the bright spot of your day and she was but now I tell my sponsors that you're the bright spot of my day thanks for calling me don't tell them where where you you. got it I know well they'll get to that point (laughs) is that in the big book or in the 12 and 12 but it's somewhere where it says newcomers are the bright spot of our day or I I think it's in the big book and then but so she'd always say that and I thought she just you know (laughs) came up with that but I would think that she was just really corny and just too kind of over the top sometimes. Um, well, the expressions are simple-minded, it seems like, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, one day I'm, at a time. Okay, one I'm day like, at a time. So smart. Duh, <laughs> but it's a whole different thing if you... Uh, really, one day at a time, this insipid little saying 
has a world of spirituality in it. Absolutely. To Absolutely. be able to stay, I mean, all of Zen Buddhism is for a present moment. Simplicity is full of design. So come, uh, coming Whoa. from... Wow, I know. You just blew my <laughs> mind. I was like, wow. Well, it is okay. because, I mean, think about it. If you've got a, a, you've got a message that you want to deliver to me. Right. And you can write this, you know, 500-page book about it. Right, which I tried. <laughs> and there's too much there. Right. So we pare it down, we pare it down. And it's really, really hard to take something and make it minimal, make it simple. Right. But when it's done well, when it works, when it's pared down to what it really needs to be, there is so much design in that simplicity. Yeah, I see what you're it, saying. It holds so much. Mm -hmm. So just like you said, mm -hmm. keep it simple. It carries. One day at a time, these things. It carries volumes. Yes. In, in that, yeah. Well, I'm rather fond that. of it takes time. And time takes oh, time. Time takes time, time yes. Takes time. And um, is it keep coming back? Is that like bless your heart? That's always coming back. I always like, imagine people saying, Bless your heart. Keep <laughs> coming back. It's when you say something really stupid right. in a meeting or you just got a treatment and you're quoting a big book and people are like, Keep coming back. It's okay, yes. you know. But that's really like maybe there is a little bit too bad. Kind of bless there your heart is. in there a little Bit, but and for like, those of you who are listening who are not from the South, <laughs> Google bless your heart and Southern sayings. <laughs> yeah, it's not as sweet as it sounds. <laughs> Tammy, thanks for uh, talking with us here at the Boiled Owl. Well, thank you very much for having me. I had a lot of fun. Stay through our next segment and, and you can help us answer a, a question. Okay. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question from a listener. Who you calling an old timer? I'm calling you an old timer, you old dubber. I don't know what that was. Duffer. That's what it was supposed to be. <laughs> dubber. Well, you're going to be a dubber now, aren't you? Uh, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, but that's what happens if you stay sober long enough. Right, Don? That's right. All right. You can post a question for us on the site or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. We don't have any questions yet, so we're making them up. And so, today's made-up question comes from Curious G in Conundrum, Balboa. Balboa? Where's that? Somewhere near Salami? <laughs> <laughs> Curious G writes, <laughs> I mostly only drink three beers a day, but I'm curious about AA. Can I come to a meeting to see what it's about? Yes. What say you, old timer? Yes. I say yes. Thank um, you. Come again. <laughs> the, the um, Well, there are two kinds of meetings in AA. There's open meetings and closed meetings. Open meetings are for anyone. And closed meetings are for anyone who thinks they might have a problem with alcohol. Or just has a desire to stop drinking, mm -hmm. even without a problem. Yeah, that's right. Just has a desire to stop drinking. So if you think that you have a problem with alcohol or you have the slightest desire to stop drinking and want to see what that's about, you can go to any AA meeting. And um, if you're 
want to be, they'll go around the room and uh, people will say their names and say, you know, like I'll say, I'm Don, I'm an alcoholic. And if you want to just fit in, say you're an alcoholic. And if you don't want to say you're an alcoholic, I mean, you can lie about it. Uh, but if you don't want to, you can just say I'm visiting. That's it. And, um, and check out the meetings and see what they're like. What is an alcoholic is what the question really is. And an alcoholic is someone who drinks when they don't want to drink. And like you were sharing, Tammy, it's hard to come to the realization that I don't want to drink. It right. took me a long time to come to the realization that I'm drinking when I don't want to drink because I always thought I wanted to drink. I was taught, you know, I'm not going to drink today. When I get off work, I'm not going to drink. Right. When I walk in the kitchen, I'm not going to drink. Right. When I open the refrigerator, I'm not going to drink. <laughs> when I reach for a Dr. Pepper, I'm not going to drink. When I pick up the beer, I changed my mind. Right. I changed my <laughs> mind. I love that. And at some point, though, I realized I was going to drink. I've spent all my day thinking about drinking. Before I drank, I might as well have been drinking. All oh, I yeah. did was think about alcohol. Absolutely. So that's that's what an that's what an alcoholic is, and you can go to any meeting and and check them out. It's they're they're open to the public. And one of the things that's pretty cool these days too. Um, I have a former sponsee who came to AA this way. He went to online meetings. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the things, he did that for almost two months before wow. he came to a physical AA meeting. And one of the things that he got out of it, because, you know, how we are, we want to check things out before we show up, um, is that uh, he got to see the kind of, you know, because it's a little different online, but kind of the flow, kind of how a meeting works. Right. You got to get comfortable with some of the lingo and things like that. Um, but... Uh, you know, online meetings, I have a sponsee now who still will do an online meeting from time to time, but that is such not the uh, a substitute for the real thing. Right. Um, show up to a real meeting is absolutely imperative if you really want to know what AA is about. Or if you know anyone in AA and you just kind of have heard that somebody's in AA, go up and ask them about it. But, Alcoholics, people who are in AA are perfectly happy to talk about it, even though it's uh, anonymous. Right. Uh, I, uh, talk to anybody about it and not try to recruit anyone. We're, we're not at all interested in recruiting alcoholics. <laughs> we don't get toasters. We don't have to recruit. <laughs> it's, the, it's entirely, if you want to quit drinking, we have a way that works. If you don't want to quit drinking, that's okay. It really, Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't care about that. You drink all you want to. I mean, it's fine. That's really not what we're about. Right. We can share our own experience. I had a desire to quit drinking, and I went to AA meetings for that first, like, seven weeks of that outpatient treatment, and I drank every, I left every meeting and went home and drank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought, this is really depressing if I had to go, <laughs> I mean... Too bad these people can't go home and drink, but I can go home and drink, you know. But I had a, I had a desire to want to quit drinking, you know. I had a desire. Um, and I picked up a few chips because they said all you needed was a desire mm -hmm. to quit. But I didn't quit. And so they, so when I finally did get a sponsor and they 
that time she said, well, now you got to go pick up another chip. I'm like, no, I already picked up one. She said, but you still drink. I'm like, yeah, but all you said was I need a desire to quit drinking. You didn't say I had to stop drinking. I was very confused. <laughs> but when I finally actually stopped drinking, then I picked up another chip and started mm-hmm. getting from that point. Um, but, yeah, I think just having that desire, even if it's a desire to want to have a desire to quit, if that makes any sense. That's kind of where I was at in the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it also brings to mind another one of our uh, cliches. You can't quit drinking drinking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but you can go to meetings. Right? Oh, totally. Just don't be disruptive, okay? Yeah, don't throw exactly. chairs or anything. Yeah, don't try to quote the big book if you've been drinking. And But, you know, we. I think... I know the meetings that I go to, we try to be really kind and open to, you know, any newcomers. Um, we remember sure. how it was. It's very I friendly. Mean, yeah, absolutely. And that's incredibly important because yeah. it was hard to just walk in there the first time. And frankly, the first several times. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I was scared of people to begin with. I didn't need anyone to look at me cross-eyed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I didn't experience that. No one did. Yeah, I didn't either. A couple of weeks ago, I had a um, uh, medical procedure where they put a camera down my throat. So I was waiting on the gurney to to have this thing done. I was anxious. And they're going, okay, the first thing we want you to do is to uh, gargle this Novocaine stuff and then swallow it. And I've got to tell you, it tastes terrible. It's terrible. It's kind of got, you know, supposed to have a flavor, but it's not. It tastes bad. And um, so talking about that in advance, I said that I had been uh, in, that I was in AA and I'd been sober 22 years. And she said, oh, that's hard. That's hard. (laughs) And I was going, no, it's really not hard. Uh-huh. It's really fun. It was really hard for the first half of a year. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. Yeah. But yeah. now, it's, I love my life and it's fun. Absolutely. So, she gave me the drink and I <laughs> gargled that stuff and swallowed it. And I made a little face. I said, that's not too bad. And she was going, most people really make a horrible face. And I was like... <laughs> I've drank worse stuff than that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's no problem. <laughs> You're tough. Yeah. But I thought that that was interesting that she said, that's hard. Because yeah. being sober is not, is not hard anymore. It's not about fighting yeah. or living my life in a way where I'm bearing down, where I'm struggling to it's stay sober. It's not a white-knuckle experience. I mean... It's complete freedom. It's a joyful way to live for me now. You know, I, I have a friend that uh, said this at the, at, uh, at the podium at a uh, sobriety conference one time. I absolutely love it. And it was when I came into these rooms, I thought, okay, the fun's over. Right. Oh, now yeah, it's time for, sure. for my consolation life. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like That's the consolation prize on the game shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something. You're getting, you can oh. live, but it's going to be a... Eh. Right. Okay. I could not imagine life without drinking. Mm-hmm. I just didn't see how there was any life 
because I never could enjoy anything without drinking. I didn't know how to go to any event. Yeah. I wanted, I was such a jerk. I, mean, I was such an asshole. I would not go to a friend's wedding if there wasn't alcohol. I had a friend that was Baptist <laughs> and there's no alcohol. So I'm like, I didn't go to her wedding. I'm like, God, there's no what? Like, fun. it's all about me. You Are know? you kidding? I, I just like, kept it in any, the trunk. I know. Any event, well, I just wasn't going to go because I thought it was really selfish of her not to have alcohol at her Baptist wedding. You know, it's like everything was about me. Any event that there wasn't alcohol i didn't understand how people did events i mean i had a friend had a baby shower and we brought alcohol like she couldn't drink because she was the pregnant one but like we all drank we're like oh i mean i just thought well she couldn't be selfish just because she got pregnant i mean just my whole life was i didn't understand how you lived without alcohol or how anything was fun because that's it. all the fun yeah, you described no the last bit of your drinking and there was no fun no there was zero fun in that um no, and you mentioned earlier and I that still didn't know how I was going to function without Like it. years of no fun. Oh, gosh, decade. Yeah, at least a decade of no fun. Absolutely. Yet we hold on to the idea that it's so much fun. Right. Well, that's out of fear. That's out of that fear of I don't know what happens if I let go. Right. Yeah. What comes after this? Yeah, what, what, could, what could possibly And the thing like? is, is that consistently, it, that the people, my life, my experience has been, and the people that I sit and talk with, is life is better sober. Oh, than absolutely. it was when we were drinking. I am a person I never, I'm like, I'm the person, I feel like, it was described to me that insanity was living your life completely different from how you feel like your ideals are, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I was behaving and living my life was completely in opposite to what I thought. Like, I would sit and drink my bottles of wine and chain smoke and be like, I'm going to get up tomorrow and start training for a marathon. And I'm going to, you know, like, I had in my mind that I was some athletic healthy person while I was eating all this junk food and destroying my body but in my mind and that I was a good person whereas I was lying and cheating and stealing and covering up and not good you know family member or not good in my job or anything um, but in my mind I was a good person so it's like that insanity of living completely different from what my ideals were but today I feel like I live so much closer I'm not completely there, but my ideals and the way I actually behave and live are so much closer together that it's way more sane. Like now I actually do get up and run and I'm not, you know, destroying my body. And um, I don't know. It's just really, I would have never thought that I had that secret to life that I thought everybody else had, that they had a reason to get up and that things were enjoyable without an outside substance. Um, I I think discovering the secret to life is a good place to end. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today, Tammy. Thank you very Tammy. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. Leave feedback or ask a question on the site or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.
<laughs> do it now. <laughs> I do. That's my boiled owl sound. What about gun noises? Girls can't usually make gun noises. Yeah. I don't think I've ever made a gun noise. <laughs> really? Yeah, why would I? Poop, 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 poop. That's not very good. Because I have a son, so I'm not going to try it. <laughs> no, it's not. Hmm.